This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I'm so delighted you're here with me today. I started Self Work five years ago in order to extend the walls of my practice and try to help people understand that there truly is some good that therapy and mental health treatment can do. Some of you may already be in therapy and be quite aware of psychological and emotional issues. Some of you might just have been diagnosed or someone you love has been and you're looking for answers. And of course, there's a third group of you who might have said to someone you know, oh, I'd never do that therapy thing. I think it's stupid. But you're just unhappy enough or curious enough to listen to self-work. I welcome all of you. First of all, I need to state a trigger or content warning for anyone listening today who was forced manipulatively or physically into a sexual relationship with a parent or grandparent or someone in your family. I've done an episode on sibling sexual abuse, which I received a lot of feedback about, thanking me for explaining the feelings associated with being sexually molested by a brother or sister. But today we're going to widen the discussion to familial incest, and will in fact focus on when a parent sexualizes the relationship they have with a child. I'll use the case histories of people I've worked with, both women and men, to describe what happened to them and how they've come to understand and heal their very deep wounds of never feeling safe or loved for who they were, but only for what they could do or were forced to do for a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, or an uncle. They were literally being treated like an object to be controlled and manipulated. The International Sexual Abuse Hotline links can be found in your show notes if you need them. And today's listener email is from someone who's identified with borderline personality disorder and has recognized the impact of her actions in the past before she recognized what was wrong with her, and she's having trouble forgiving herself. So in this episode, sponsored once again by BetterHelp, we'll talk about incest as well as borderline personality disorder. So glad you're here. In healthy families, a child learns that adults are there to protect you. They are engaging with you as you learn and laugh and discover the world. They soothe you when you cry and teach you that bad feelings can be helped with a hug and a kiss. Innocence in these families is how life works. Incest, sexual abuse by a family member, completely destroys that innocence. From the moment you begin exploring the world, you may hear, give granddaddy a big hug, your daddy's special girl, or your mommy's big boy. Then one awful day, something happens you don't understand. The look in granddaddy's eyes is not the same as he tells you how special you are to him or that he's helping you grow up. You know in your gut that something feels different and wrong. He touches you in a way that you've never been touched. Your body feels things it has never felt. You're told to do things that you've never done. You're scared. You freeze up. You just want it to be over. Maybe you're five, maybe ten. The next day, everything appears normal. You get up, just like every other day. You grab the Pop-Tart that mom's warmed up, and then it's time to go to school. 
and you hear, Granddad's going to pick you up today and take you to soccer practice. But nothing is normal for you anymore. You eat a little bit and head to the bus, trying to avoid the sick feeling in the pit of your stomach. When Granddad does pick you up, he's his usual jovial self. He asks you how soccer practice is going, tells you he can't wait to see your next game, and he drops you off. You're left to wonder, did it really happen, or will it ever happen again? And you pray that it won't, but you're confused. After all, it's Granddaddy. So many people believe that incest only happens in families that look chaotic or dysfunctional. This is not the case. They also think it only happens to young children. Also, not the case. 34% of all sexual abuse is incest or abuse within the family, and some statistics have that higher. Sexual abuse in a family isn't simply a story. It's a reality for millions of little boys and girls and is the ultimate betrayal of a child. It could be your mother, it could be your father or your grandfather, your aunt, your uncle. Let me share a few tragic stories with you. My first graduate school placement was in a large psychiatric hospital where they had a children's unit for kids under the age of eight. It became my job to run a sex education group for four- and five-year-old girls, all who'd been sexually molested in their families. Their knowledge, or what they believed from their experience, proved to me that sexual anatomy was no stranger to them. Although the usage of their terms may not have been correct, they knew parts. They knew sexual parts. Then there was one little boy who was there who'd been sexually abused by his mom. He jumped into my lap one day quite friendly and told me about it. My mom hurt me. Are you going to hurt me too? Then he abruptly changed the subject, jumped off, and laughed a strange laugh and told me my breath smelled awful. I had been eating tuna with onion that day. But what had happened is he'd needed to be in control, and he'd needed to distance himself from me. That's what he needed to do, and I'll never forget that little boy. One of my first clients after moving here to Arkansas was a young 18, 19-year-old woman just married for a few days. Her husband brought her in, explaining that he'd assumed she was a virgin due to her highly religious upbringing. He was angry, but not with her, with her father. For her father had had sex with her daily for years, explaining that this kind of relationship was normal between father and daughter. She, of course, didn't know any better. Even though her gut had been sounding an alarm for years, she was completely dependent on that father and helpless and her mother knew and was either agreeable to it for some reason or frightened to do anything but go along. The patient didn't want to tell me, as I told her I had to report what she said because her sisters were still in the house. She very slowly, very painfully explained to me what had happened. I followed up, of course, and the girls were taken out of the house, but I didn't know what had happened after that. Another person I've seen has DID, or Dissociative Identity Disorder, which is rare. It used to be called Multiple Personality Disorder. And it's not known exactly why someone has DID, and others may have chronic PTSD or complex PTSD, but they don't severely dissociate. In fact, there's lots of controversy that remains in the field. But often when there are multiple personalities formed, it's due to severe trauma and often ritualistic sexual abuse. 
as I've worked with a very few clients who slowly and very cautiously have revealed different personas. They each remember different aspects of the abuse. Each persona was formed or emerged due to the severe strain on the child's literal sanity at a certain age. And it's interesting because each persona may reveal that they believe they are that age. I'm six or I'm 16. It is when their persona emerged in order for that child or that teenager to again maintain and hold on to their sanity. But you may have to get beyond whatever fascination you might have with such a rare disorder and realize the utter chaos of having a parent or parents that never provided you with safety or security. Never. And just think about the incredibly difficult task of losing chunks of time when another persona has emerged while holding down a job or raising your own children. She had also suffered terribly from choosing abusive partners and reenacted, before she began working in therapy, her history with her father over and over. It's even more confusing when what began as sexual grooming or behaviors that the parent did or said to the child to both emotionally and physically prepare them for sex. It can seemingly turn into a consensual relationship as the victim ages. But remember... The sexual relationship can also be intertwined with positive attention. In fact, it usually is. And you can feel powerful. Your dad wants to spend time with you. He wants to have sex with you, and you see him as some kind of giant. You're accustomed by this time to being objectified. So you may seek it out as well, or it seems so on the surface. It's very complicated. One woman I saw told me, that at first I was wrong to believe there was anything sinister about her years of consensual sex with her father way into her 20s. This highly educated woman, when she first started therapy, didn't think anything was wrong with that. And she described her current intimate relationship with her also very successful husband as wonderful and highly pleasurable. It was only after several years of off-and-on treatment that her walls of denial began to crumble. She saw how her father had manipulated her and that she had been very ill to believe that she had actually agreed to that kind of relationship. And now not only was she married to a highly controlling and sexually abusive man, her father was far from the moral and spiritual icon she initially needed to portray to me. What had to happen in therapy in order for her to change? She needed to learn to trust me. And that's what has to happen with all sexually abused adults in therapy. They don't know who to trust. So earning that trust becomes the very first step in the therapeutic relationship. Hearing these stories of parental sexual manipulation and cruelty is definitely the hardest part of my job. It's very difficult to know what can happen behind closed doors, anyone's doors. I'll say that again, anyone's doors. So what leads someone to finally share, to risk revealing the unthinkable, to reveal a secret? We'll talk about that right after we hear from BetterHelp, an online therapeutic agency that just might be able to help you. I'm always honored when one of you reaches out to me to ask, hey, could I see you? Unfortunately, right now, I can only see people in Arkansas, but I do have a suggestion for you. I've personally found that BetterHelp, the leading online therapeutic counseling service, is really a great option, and I've partnered with them here at SelfWork 
to provide you with a professional, very affordable, and trustworthy source of help, no matter where you live. In fact, BetterHelp has been a sponsor of self-work for more than a year, and I can't tell you how much it's meant to have their help and support here on the program. But of course, before any kind of relationship happened, I tried BetterHelp myself. They use only licensed therapists, meaning licensed professional counselors, social workers, marriage and family therapists, probably even some psychologists, and they match you up with someone likely in the same state as you if you're here in the United States. But I want to talk about what really stood out for me. I saw two different counselors, or (laughs) I didn't see them, but I worked with them. For one thing, it was very convenient, and they both tried their best to meet my schedule. The second thing was, you know, those of you on the podcast often write reviews or send me emails that say, hey, I really like that you make direct suggestions on what to try, real tangible recommendations. And the two counselors I tried did that as well. It's not that empathy in a listening ear isn't valuable. Sometimes we all can benefit from working through emotions in a safe relationship. However, I believe you get hope when you see yourself handling emotions that previously you couldn't, or maybe you speak up in meetings where before you didn't care enough to, or maybe your confidence was shot. You want to be able to see real change in yourself. Both of them actually offered worksheets for me to use to get a little deeper into things outside of the session. So I walked away with ideas. You know, we're still in the middle of a pandemic and everyone's lives have been challenged to a lesser or greater extent for a year or more. So that's the backdrop we all have to deal with. And BetterHelp wants to be there for you. But also because you listen to self-work, you do have a really good offer for them. You'll receive a 10% discount on your first month of service if you use this code. TryBetterHelp.com slash self-work. That's TryBetterHelp.com slash self-work. And you'll find a counselor uniquely chosen for your preferences and needs. And then, of course, write me and let me know how it goes. If your first counselor isn't a great fit for you, they'll find somebody else, just like in non-online therapy. And after all, so many counselors are only working online these days, and BetterHelp isn't expensive. So try BetterHelp, because reaching out can be so vital to your mental health. So what leads someone again to finally share, to risk revealing the unthinkable? The shame can feel intolerable and you're propelled to risk. For some reason, you can't understand thoughts of death often occur to you. Or perhaps I've had this happen. Someone comes in because they've innocently told someone else what happened and The look of sadness or surprise in the other causes them to question, wait a minute, maybe something was wrong. Or your children get to be the age that you were when the abuse began occurring, and you realize how frenetic and unrealistic your protection of them is. You fear that something could happen, and you know that they're safe. Your partner asks, where does all of this anxiety come from? And you remember, or you tell them. And as an adult, you find yourself in a therapist's office revealing what happened very slowly with confusion and shame. I hear things like this. I don't get the way I feel about him. I remember what he did to me, but there are also some really good memories. I loved going fishing with him. He taught me about the kind of bait to use. Why did he have to ruin everything? Or, I dread going to Christmas every year because my uncle's there. And I'll see that look in his eyes like he's remembering. I feel dirty. But you know, guys don't talk about this stuff. So I don't know what to do. Why doesn't a child reveal that their sexual abuse was happening as it was happening? There are many reasons. Shame, 
fear of punishment, being actively threatened with harm or harm to the rest of the family, feeling blame, and frankly, sometimes not realizing there was anything wrong. There are lucky children who tell and are not only believed, but immediate action is taken to protect them from harm. Being believed can be very healing. But if a child tried to tell and is ignored or not believed, this child's life can become more of a hell than it was before because the abuse is highly likely to recur. And they are sunk. They are ignored. They are neglected. They aren't believed. And many adults have told me that's almost worse than the abuse itself. If the revelation is in adulthood and again is denied or ignored by the family or by the abuser, the abuse just sits there, sort of like the proverbial elephant in the room. I've had people who've told their families what happened, and their families have not believed them and wants them to act as if nothing was ever wrong. Any information that doesn't fit in with what the family believes themselves to be or what they need to look like to others isn't welcome. The loneliness of that child or that adult is devastating. You know, sexual abuse is about stealing power, and healing is about taking it back. So how do you heal from sexual trauma caused by incest? First, there's a lot of grieving, and that can include feelings of rage, fear, emptiness, abandonment, unfairness, having to fight dissociation due to the strain, and sadness, so much sadness. Second, a therapist can use various trauma techniques, such as EMDR, hypnosis, neurofeedback, all geared to help you remember the events without experiencing as much emotional reactivity to them. They need to be trained in those techniques and have experience using them. In my work as a therapist, patients have also used various methods of honoring themselves and their stories, through not only talking about what happened in detail, but by drawing or creating a poem or a song, by journaling and putting together the puzzle pieces. Again, those trauma techniques can be very helpful in that. By going back to themselves as a child and telling that child what they needed to hear. This is more traditional talk therapy, but it can also be very effective with time. And of course, action can be taken. Persecutors can be confronted or legally pursued in some cases. This needs to be discussed in detail on how it will be healing for the patient. I've known of one, and I've been working in this field for 30 years, one abuser who was confronted and admitted what he'd done to the whole family and actually had already been in treatment. He was able to very gradually win back his stepdaughter's trust, but it took a lot of time. Other members of the family were pushing for a quick reconciliation. The last thing you want to do is re-victimize yourself. So, you need to take it in your own time. Your expectations and the expectations of your family need to be negotiated so you don't get hurt once again. Overall, therapy always includes finding compassion for the child that you were and remembering the powerlessness and vulnerability of all children. Incest is about one human being who's supposed to be safe for you, taking control of you, manipulating you, and your innocence for their own disturbed, very sick agenda. But you can heal. It's a process of weaving the reality of the trauma into how you understand your own life. You can learn to trust again, not in a childlike way, but with awareness and care. You can re-empower yourself and disempower 
your perpetrator. Think of your life as a tapestry, which has many colorful threads within it, yet darker threads also travel through it. Both give meaning to the other, and the darkness doesn't overtake the light. The healing process takes time, courage, and the development of compassion for that child within you who needs comfort and connection. That child needs understanding and a way out of carrying such a lonely burden. The child needs to know they never were and never will be at fault. That child needs to believe in their own innocence. The email today is from someone who has been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and is struggling with self-forgiveness. I'll read her email. I recently discovered your podcast on Spotify and am absolutely loving it. I'm so glad to be able to have access to your insights into questions that most other sources refuse to touch upon. This surprises me, but I guess I am talking about some things that are pretty difficult. I have a podcast suggestion in regard to borderline personality disorder. I was diagnosed last year and spent about seven months in therapy doing DBT and CBT up until my insurance coverage ran out. I'm doing well on my own now, but still struggle with guilt and shame over some of the things I did and said to my ex during episodes before I was diagnosed. I've had a chance to talk it out with him, and he has for the most part forgiven me, but I still severely struggle with forgiving myself. Even when I do find myself feeling light and forgiving towards my own self, I still feel like I'm somehow wrong or evil as a person, and no one would accept me as a friend if they knew of the kind of past I have. I realize this is a topic that requires context, and I'm on the wait list for a new therapist, but I was wondering if you could do an episode on self-forgiveness for people like me struggling with borderline. Thank you for reading my email and the wonderful work you do. I answered her back. Thank you so much for such kind words. I've done two episodes on self-forgiveness, it looks like. A very early one, 078, I think, and this one, which was 247. And I'll have both of those links in the show notes. Actually, as far as struggling with borderline personality disorder and self-forgiveness, I would attack that problem using the DBT you've already learned. I think it's really the best way to try to process your thinking and emotions Maybe you just haven't used the content of self-forgiveness as part of the work you have. It sounds like you're bound up in shame, that rather than feeling guilt for what you've done, that you've made it into, I'm a bad person because of what I've done. And you're telling yourself things like, no one would accept me as a friend if they knew about my past. Well, I bet if you asked yourself, what if someone wanted to be my friend And they'd created a lot of chaos before they met me, but they'd done their best to work on it and learn and grow from it. Would I reject them? I doubt it. And yet, somehow or another, that's what you're telling yourself. So there's a difference between guilt, feeling remorse for what you have done, and shame, letting what you've done that you do feel bad about cause you to feel like a bad person. And so I've also included some links about shame is something I've talked a lot about in that people think it's the same thing as a good conscience, but it is not. It actually continues to do damage if you carry it around with you. It's like a ball and chain that you can never really let go of until you decide you can. But I also want to make another point. 
I think it shows an incredible amount of empathy on your part to realize that your choices had a painful impact. It suggests to me that you've come a long way in your own treatment, as those with borderline personality often don't recognize this dynamic at all. It's one of the criteria for borderline, that there's a deficit of empathy. So bravo to you. I wonder what you'd say to someone else whose story mimicked yours, that they had bipolar disorder or some kind of anxiety disorder, or even a personality disorder, which they didn't understand or know about. What would you say to them? Should they always be judged for something that was in the past? I doubt if you'd say they were. Until you know what some problem is, until you can see it, which often takes emotional maturity, then you won't have a lot of insight about it or know what to do. Actually, the same is true of medical problems. If you don't know what your medical problem is, you can't remedy it or at least try to. So give yourself kudos for the work you've already done. I hope that will be helpful to you to shine a little more positive light on yourself. I also want to make one more point. The person you chose while you were in the middle of your borderline chaos may not be capable of forgiving you. This may be something more about that person rather than you. I think it's something you should consider. So I hope all of this has been helpful. Thanks for writing in, and thanks, of course, for being a listener to Self Work. Thank you all for being here today. I've listed several excellent books that might help you if you've been sexually abused. Many rape crisis centers also run free groups for victims, as do individual counselors. And there are chat groups on Twitter using the hashtag CSA. I appreciate so much you leaving a review wherever you listen, but especially on Apple Podcasts. I haven't gotten one in a while, so I would love to see some more written reviews. I love to see what you like about self-work and how I could improve the podcast. My book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, is also available, and I'd love ratings or reviews about that if you're one of the people, the many people, who have read it and learned from it. For those of you who don't know about it, it's for anyone who has to maintain a lot of control over their life, cares desperately what other people think about them, may want their life to look perfect or be perfect, and the destructiveness that can be such a entrenched part of that, the shame and the fear, like this listener email, the shame and the fear that can be governing your life, and it offers a way out. You can email me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. My website is DrMargaretRutherford.com. And if you subscribe there, you'll receive a weekly newsletter with my weekly podcast and blog. Or you can certainly subscribe wherever you listen to self-work, and then you'll be alerted to this podcast every week. Again, thanks so much for being here. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.